Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Especially welcome to one of our Thursday shows. Thursday shows are special because we have one guest. We talk for an hour, an in-depth conversation about an important topic facing America. We also have an in-studio audience for whom I'm very, very grateful. Uh, it's fun to have them here. They are given the opportunity to ask questions toward the end of the interview. And for those of you listening who are members of America Can We Talk, if you'd like to join our studio audience and you're with the North Dallas area, North Texas area, in Dallas, you can always email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com and ask about joining the studio audience on Thursdays. Also want to mention next Thursday, our special guest is Raymond Ibrahim, and he is an astonishing expert on uh, the rise of jihadist Islam, what's happening around the world, what's happening in America. Things we don't see haven't been the headlines much this year, but a lot going on that we need to know about. But today's very special guest joining us via Skype uh, from the East Coast is named She Van Fleet. And if you're thinking, I kind of know that name, who is that? I want to mention before we start with her that the reason you likely know her name, she was the mom. She's a mom in Virginia who spoke up at a school board meeting in Loudoun County and essentially said that the critical race theory being pushed by the school district at that time was very, very similar to what occurred in her life as she grew up in China during the era of Mao Zedong. She literally lived through the cultural revolution of Mao Zedong in China, and she is waving the red flag of warning to America, saying much of what we're watching the American left do is far too similar in a very scary way to what Mao Zedong did to China. So please help me welcome to our show, Xi Van Fleet. Thank you, well, it's great to see you. I'm so grateful you were available. I meant to say in our introduction that last year you spoke at our summit here in Dallas, our Women for Freedom Summit. And honestly, uh, as with many other speakers, to be fair, but you were so great that I think people didn't want you to stop talking, that you have so much information. I'm grateful that you're able to do that. And grateful, actually, I'm watching your activity. You're really getting out there in the world and talking about what, why you say that the cultural revolution under Mao Zedong is so similar to what you see happening in America today. I can't resist, so there's a little bit of history. So just tell, what was the era of your life? What was going on in your life when Mao Zedong's cultural revolution came to be in China? That's um, a loaded question. And I, you know, I lived there for 26 years. So I just simplify. Um, it, I was turning seven when the cultural revolution started and my the earliest memory of the Cultural Revolution was uh, overnight, overnight, and everything just kind of uh, went crazy. And the school stopped, and uh, in our schools, there are a lot of uh, what's called big character posters posted everywhere, especially in the cafeteria, because that's the space that we have for meetings and as well. And uh, they're kind of like today's social media, but very, very big. And they put on a wall so everyone can read. And it's about these denunciations of uh, someone or something. And though I was too little to read all the content, and I could see their pictures, uh, drawings, and I could see that it was targeted on so-and-so, a teacher or administrator. And, uh, uh, and so soon after that, school stopped. And um, um, so no school for a year and a half. And so we were just free to roam. So I went uh, 
Every day we just went out, there's something to see and something to do. And what we saw was struggle sessions of uh, people who were uh, picked up by the Red Guards to denounce. And so the struggle session is kind of like a, a public trials. And sometimes they have the people in the truck and they all have a big sign in front of them with the name crossed and their, their label. Labels such as uh, counter-revolutionary, rightist, um, revisionist. I'll explain that later. And uh, sometimes it went violent. And uh, so that's what we uh, did. And sometimes we saw the uh, red guards debating each other. Total chaos. And uh, that lasted for about two years. That was the era of the Red Guards, and I can explain more later, but that was the most violent and chaotic time of the Cultural Revolution. And eventually, Mao got rid of the Red Guards. So things started to quiet down, and Mao ordered everyone go back to school to carry on the revolution in school. And that's when um, I, the textbook all banned. The older textbook are out of date. So there's no new textbook. So what we had is Mao's Little Red Book. So for, I think for more than a year or so, that's the only thing we did. We read it back and forth. So we remember all the quotations. And not only that, many of them made into songs. So that's all we did, memorize. And I still, I can still remember all the quotations. So school lasted 10 years and I learned hardly anything. When I graduated at the age of 16 from high school, I was sent to the countryside because there was no job there. The economy was non-existent and the, the Mao did not want any use staying wandering in cities. That to him, that's kind of a, you basically have potential problems. So we all sent to the countryside to work in the fields with the peasants doing the primitive work primitive. Don't imagine the pretty countryside in, in, in America. It's really no electricity, no running water, no nothing. And so I worked there for um, three years and then Mao died. Thank God. And then Deng Xiaoping, a reformer, he got into power and he decided that that we're going to open universities and this time and people can take examinations and be admitted to universities through your ability, not the kind of affirmative action that the CCP Mao imposed during the Cultural Revolution. You go to college based on your good behavior, based on the recommendation of the party leaders. This time it's by your own ability and I took the examination and was fortunate to be admitted and so I finally, at age of 19, which is not too bad, I went to college and studied English. You know, so, you, speak, uh, you speak English beautifully. I want to jump in and be sure. So you, you came to America when you were 27. And you, so when the first cultural revolution thing started, you were in first grade or so. You were five or six yeah. years old, first grade. So you were going through school at the time that Mao is trying to instill this cultural revolution in your, in your country. And I, I do want to turn very quickly to what's happening in America today because your remarks, as you know, when you spoke at the Loudoun School District and, and compared critical race theory to what Marx did, in the, excuse me, what Mao did in the cultural revolution, it really 
it went viral and it awakened, awakened many people. But I'm trying to help all of us get, I, I think for Americans, it's almost impossible to imagine what life was like when the entire culture is controlled by the cultural revolution ideas, by what Mao was saying. One thing I've heard you mention earlier was that, uh, in a previous interview, was the idea that the, the Red Guards, you know, you think of them like they are the actors on behalf of Mao Zedong, but some of the people who got to be active in the Red Guards and kind of mili uh, militantly force rules on others, these were themselves young people, students, even junior high school students. Is that right? It is. Uh, um, again, this is a big topic. I will try to make it simple. The Red Guards started in high school. They started by a group of high school kids who were the children of the CCP officials. They um, started in the college, in the high school, very prestigious high school. Um, so they call themselves Red Guards, meaning guarding Mao. So they started this uh, uh, chaos. They uh, went after what we call the black class people. And I need to explain a little bit because Mao divided China into two classes. One is red. Those are the um, uh, allies or friends or base of his revolution. And basically they were the have-nots. And then the black class were the haves, the landowners, the property owners. So the Red Guards were went after those people who were classified as black class. So they, they did the raid their uh, homes and then they beat them and uh, killed many of them. But that's not really Mao's intention for the Cultural Revolution. What he wanted to do is get rid of those bureaucrats, the parents of those original Red Guards, because they, he believed they were not following him and they were uh, the ones that are not loyal to him. So he wanted to get rid of uh, those people. So later on, and there was a faction of uh, Red Guards called the Rebels. They went after the CCP officials. And here is something important to know, because the, uh, after they got rid of uh, their class, so-called class, the CCP themselves become the new ruling class. They were the one that have privileges. They were the one that ruling over the people. So the people did not like them and the people were motivated to go after them. So that's the second wave of the Red Guards. They went after all um, uh, officials that Mao deemed as um, sus uh, not loyal to him. So the, um, the number one victim was the president of China, Liu Shaoqi. His home was raided. He was struggled against. His wife, supposed to be really attractive, uh, lady in a wear beautiful clothes. She was struggled against wearing uh, in the winter time, wearing the summer clothes and wearing um, 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 a ping pong made a pearl uh, necklace just to mock her. And she was struggled against so many times. So, and later on, the Red Guards started to fight each other. They uh, what we call the rebels start to fight the, uh, the loyal loyalists. Um, and uh, because Mao gave them uh, open support, no one can stop them. And Mao um, um, uh, abolished 
the law enforcement and told law enforcement specifically, do not go to college, uh, campus, do not go into any campuses. The, uh, the Red Guards, they are the uh, uh, revolutionaries, they can do whatever. So the Red Guards raided the military uh, uh, bases and they got weapons. They start to kill each other and turn into basically a civil war. And um, the estimate was uh, up to 20 million people died during the Cultural Revolution. We don't know how many of the youth, young people died. Eventually, Mao has to use military to uh, crack down. And that's happened in the first two years of the Cultural Revolution. So uh, I, this is honestly this era of history, I think so many Americans have a brief understanding of, but I really mm -hmm. don't want to, I mean, there, as I told you before we started, now that I've been reading and uh, listening to more of what you've had to say, we could spend a lot of time trying to help people understand what China was like under Mao, but you're bringing a, you're just raising the alarm bells in America about traits you see in American culture yes. that are like what Mao did. So I'd love to just start with this. So what made you go to that school board when you were in Loudoun County, Virginia? What were you seeing in the school's conduct that was reminded you and said it was like what Mao Zedong did? What about cult, uh, critical race theory is like the cultural revolution? Yes, I think that's what we should focus on because it's too much to, to, to go over what happened during the Cultural Revolution. Number one, division. That is what I, when I see CRT, I think about Mao's uh, class struggle. And so the Mao used class. So in the very beginning of Mao's rule, the as I mentioned already, China was uh, divided into two camps, red and black. So everyone know your label, and the label become hereditary, and you pass it down to your children. But after all the uh, property were divided and confiscated, and there's no more uh, class, supposedly, so in order to keep his revolution going, in order to, um, to uh, have more uh, enemies to struggle against, Mao decided, uh, or not decided, Mao just started to, to to tell us that, no, you may not have any property, but if you think like those uh, have haves, those uh, uh, landed class, or if you took their standpoint, you're one of them and you are counter-revolutionary. So he started to, in the beginning, it's just property owners belong to the back black class. He added counter-revolutionary, um, rightist, Bad influencer, he added so many. In the end, he, uh, the number nine, uh, he added is intellectuals. All of them belong to the black class. When you belong, when you are in uh, back, uh, black class, you are the enemy of the state. So that's what happened during the Cultural Revolution. So many people uh, were deemed as counter-revolutionary. It is a hat that fits everyone. Whatever that hat fits you. So, um, so th those are the people that the uh, uh, red, red gods uh, go uh, after. And that's what happened here. And uh, they use race because class did not work here. Class did not work as Marx predicted, especially in highly industrialized country, especially in America. There was a big problem for them. That's called American dream, that everyone can come here with nothing and achieve the American dream. So in order to divide, that's the key word, in order to divide the people here, 
anyone with any brain can think the easiest way is to divide America by race. And then it's so easy. In, um, and it's just by your skin color. And so when I see that, I said, that's exactly what the, uh, happened in China by class, later by your way of thinking or your standpoint. Here too, they divide the American people by race, but that's not enough. So, and then they keep redefining what a racist is or what racism is. So eventually, if you think like a racist, if you think like a white person, you're racist, even though you can be black. And that's what they did to uh, Larry Elder and to Winston Sears. They are the black face of the white supremacist. That's exactly what my, uh, Mao did. Redefine the concept and keep using the same, um, uh, same head and put on more uh, head of more people. And the, uh, the other thing is that it's not just uh, you become called a reactionary, a counter-revolutionary, uh, counter or you're called a racist. They use that narrative to really silence anyone else. And in China, everyone tried to be so careful what to say, what not to say, and in, uh, in order to avoid being end up in the black class. And that's what they're doing here. They use CRT to intimidate and silence those who probably are not, uh, uh, are not ready to buy their narrative. So, so a lot of people are silenced. And a lot of majority, and then they, we call the silent majority. A lot of people just choose not to talk, but that's not the solution either because yeah. silence yeah. is violence. Yeah, I love that. Silence is violence. So this first, I, I just think it's it's vital for Americans to, I, I love what you're saying. I love what you said last year at our summit and what you speak about. So this first parallel, just the idea that during the Cultural Revolution, Chairman Mao intentionally tried to divide society and pit people against each other. So you had the red class where the in his view, good guys, people standing with him, and the black class was the people who, in any way, he decided opposed him. And so you had the people at each other's throats and, and divided and, and viewing each other as enemies. And the parallel to critical race theory in America is because critical race theory says if you're black, you are a victim and that's who you are and you can't change that and you are an oppressed person. And if you're white, you're an oppressor and you can't get out of that category. So you have this constant pitting of intention between the classes and you're describing that is not just the it, it is the intention of critical race theory to do that to create that tension is that accurate yes absolutely and the other thing i want to add is uh, in china from day one they teach hate and they teach not just children of course they have total control of children and adults as well it's very, very important that every individual understand where you stand, that you should hate the class enemies, whoever happened to be, end up in that uh, category and love the red class, hate. And they did such a good job and dehumanize whoever end up to be the enemy of the state. That's why during the Cultural Revolution, those red guards were able to commit such con uh, atrocity. The first killing took place in uh, Cultural Revolution. 
was in the high school by a bunch of uh, young girls, like a 15 to 16 years old. They took their assistant principal out to struggle against. And then they used stick with um, uh, nails and beat her. And then they used boiling water and pour on her. So she was killed by a bunch of, uh, just hard to imagine, by a bunch of uh, uh, young girls because the kind of hatred they were taught that they, sh they, they, they should have towards class enemies. So after that, they kind of like, a, like you know, young, young kids, they did not know what to do. So they reported to the uh, so-called um, Central Cult Cultural Revolution Committee. Committee is no problem. We're behind you. You are revolutionaries. After that, violence broke out all over the country. So many professors, teachers, because they are the easiest target. They are in school. They are the authority figure. They are the intellectuals, which Mao condemned. So I know someone here that's uh, in, my, in, in, in my community, and I talked to her one day. She said both her grandfathers were killed by Red Guards because both of them were college professors. I want, I want to jump in. I'm, I'm loving these parallels you're making. So part of what, in, in addition to creating tension, it is instilling the idea of hate, that is, it, it's not enough to be in one group or another, but you are teaching and encouraging hate toward the other. And it is such an interesting thing in America because what we're seeing, the rise of Antifa and Black Lives Matter, the angry vitriol that comes out of their mouths, of their slogans, what they do in the cities, they have been, they have been had hatred instilled in them toward white America or, or toward the other, toward, toward people who aren't on their, on their, um, w within their oh, political sorry. viewpoint. Yeah. yeah. And then the hatred is amazing here that we have never seen, uh, at least not in my 35 years here. And then, you know, you get a report of, uh, um, like, uh, when the Kavanaugh, uh, hearing was going on, um, a professor, a law professor in Georgetown said, those uh, GOP that supported Kavanaugh should be have a miserable death. They should be castrated by a professor. And then you can see those uh, uh, students. I call them radical red guards on campus in uh, in 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 America. The the way they show their hatred towards conservative uh, professors or speakers was the same as the red guards. And the violence is uh, there. It's just the next step is getting. Yep. yep. You know, that violence, you talked about uh, the, the uh, young girls who killed this assistant principal. Uh, two things happened. One was the police wouldn't do anything about it because they were on the side of the revolution, so they were not punished. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yes. Yep. And it's also, it's also like it's justified violence. It's like, it's like, well, these are bad people, so of course you're able to exactly. do that. Exactly. It's, it's, it is, the parallels are already very alarming. You also mm -hmm. mentioned something, and I think you talked about it at our summit last year. Part of what Mao did to try to drive out love of the Chinese people, of their history and their culture, you talk about the four olds, O-L-D-S, olds, the things that he said must be eviscerated and removed from society. And those were, I mean, you go ahead. What, what were the four olds that you had to get rid of? Oh, yes. That is uh, one of the hallmarks of cultural revolution. 
we are told to destroy the four olds. What are they? They are the um, old tradition, old thoughts or ideas, old custom and old habits. So basically that uh, is the uh, traditional Chinese civilization and we need to destroy it to make room for Marxism. And the Mao has been power for 17 years, but that's not enough. They already have done so much destruction to Chinese um, traditional culture, but this time he wants to get rid of Mao. So the Red Guards, uh, loyal to Mao, so well uh, indoctrinated. So they went to the um, uh, temples to destroy all the statues. Because in Chinese culture, we don't have many statues on the streets like the Western countries. Most of them are Buddhist statues. They went to temples and destroyed many, some of the thousands year old treasures, they destroyed them. They, they tore down the temples and, uh, and then they went homes. And of those uh, people that are con condemned as black class and read the homes, and they just got rid of everything that they considered old for or foreign. So old furniture and old family photos and uh, everything they could lay their hands on and they were confiscated. Some just destroyed in the process. And uh, um, they uh, changed street names. And just like the, uh, so people were probably baffled what was going on this is so strange that they're doing all this but this is nothing new it happened in the cultural revolution the red guards changed school names store names and anything that's old street names people know picking duck i think a lot of people know this famous dish picking duck and there was a restaurant that was um, so famous there was the original a restaurant that cooked this kind of duck. It has a traditional old Chinese name. The Red Guard, I can't remember what the name is. The Chinese, uh, um, the Red Guards changed it into Peking Duck. So it, it's still used today, Peking Duck. So even the duck has to, the name has to be changed. And they changed their personal name to be more politically correct. They changed the name. So when when you see, or you, of course, you, uh, when I see someone's name that uh, it's like a red guards, red a soldier, whatever. I, I knew they must be born in that time period. And that was so popular to name your children or change your children's name to be something so revolutionary. And, uh, and banned books, left and right, books all banned and uh, uh, burned. Most of them are burned. I never get to read anything that was uh, um, that's different from uh, what I was allowed to read, which is Mao's literary book. And uh, um, I, I remember, this is really interesting. Some books survived in private collection. And uh, later on, when the uh, um, uh, everything was kind of quiet down and was not so uh, chaotic, people start to kind of circulate books. I, I get books such as uh, um, uh, The One Thousand and the One Night, and something of uh, uh, Snow White, uh, those books from friends. And I, I got from one friend, I passed on to another friend. So in, in that way, the, uh, we call it underground reading. I was able to read a little bit of something that was not Mouse Little Red Book. You know, this so is amazing. Yeah, I'm going to jump in and say because uh, two things. One is the parallel 
between what we're watching the left do in America, especially during the riots of uh, 2020, 2021, where we had Antifa and Black Lives Matter and other groups, not just those two, but other leftist groups tearing down statues, justifying originally because they were people associated with the Civil War on, on the southern side, but eventually tearing down statues of Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. I, I love and I want to uh, hone in on this a little bit. The idea Mao is having is he doesn't want these, the um, citizens to have any sense of identity, cultural <laughs> connection, question their history. They're just supposed to identify themselves as a citizen in a communist country. And so you can't have this mentality of a, of a bigger uh, identity rooted in your history. And so you see parallels to that, to what happened in America. I'm going to jump in right now and tell you very quickly. So for our radio listeners, you're going to go off to a break. It's a three-minute break. I'm sorry for you. You need to miss three minutes. But we come right back after your break. We'll continue speaking with Xi Van Fleet and about the parallels between critical race theory and the anti-American Marxist movement in America today and what happened in China under Mao Zedong. So don't go away after your break. Okay, so uh, back to, to Xi Yu. I mean, so I want to make sure you're, I, I don't want to put any words in your mouth. You see those parallels, what, what the tearing down of statues in America to what Mao was trying to do in the Cultural Revolution. It's not just me. Actually, during that time, 2020, and uh, I guess you are familiar with uh, the uh, social, uh, the Chinese social media WeChat. It was full of posts from uh, within China, and they were laughing. They said, oh, finally, the Americas got their Cultural Revolution, and they're just having, I mean, they, 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 they just enjoy seeing America being burned. And it's within China. And all my friends, of course, we say this is cultural revolution. Yeah, and you know, within America, when you're tearing down uh, symbols of our history, I and mean, we, America is obviously a much younger country than China, obviously, by, you know, centuries, uh, millennia. And so you have in America that the ideas represented by our founding, what Thomas Jefferson did, what Abraham Lincoln did, what George Washington, all these founders did, they are our identity. I mean, they are our American identity. They represent that. And to tear those down and belittle them, it is targeting the idea of encouraging Americans to stop thinking of yourself as having that as your identity. Do you agree with that? Yeah, that's uh, very similar to what Mao did. Here they say all those founders, the slave owners, and in China, everything was feudalist because the goal uh, that Mao told us of cultural revolution is get rid of three things. Feudalists, what is that? It's basically all China. And then foreign, anything Western should get rid of. And then the third one, I need a little explanation. It's called revisionism. What is that? That's, uh, refer, that refers to the uh, Soviet, the new Soviet Union after Stalin died. Uh, Kuchnev, I think I spelled, I pronounced his name right. He denounced uh, uh, Stalin. And uh, that terrified Mao. And Mao was afraid. The same thing would happen to him after he died. So anything Soviet should be part of that denunciation. So three things. So anything that's old is feudalistic, get rid of. Anything foreign, anything. So basically everything is going to be wiped out. And because they are 
told we are told by Mao those are the uh, the bad things and um, and it's kind of a almost con it's not almost it's absolutely um, absurd. So everyone is asked to go over your household and pick out anything that is one of those three things. So we did not have anything that's old antique. Um, so my mother found a bottle of perfume and that's Western and that was considered bourgeois. So he, he, she handed that in. So and here is a, yeah, we get rid of it's get rid of our past. And also to get rid of anything that's foreign. That's, and Mao went just absolutely insane that he wanted to get rid of not just old and foreign. He wanted to even get rid of uh, the Soviet com style communism. He wanted his own thing. I, you know, there's so many parallels to modern America. And the reason I care about this so much is I feel like many young people, and maybe of, of all ages, but people get drawn in to the uh, to what the left is doing to America, and they don't really think they're hurting America. They think they're advancing in their thought. They're they're seeing what they didn't used to see. One example you gave, in a, in a, um, which I, I love to have you talk about a little bit, is how the term counter-revolutionary could be basically was adjusted, as you just described, adjusted by Mao to include anyone he wanted to make into an enemy. It was just they could be lumped into the category of counter-revolutionary. In America today, this umbrella term is racist. Anything yeah. you won't agree with the left, then you must be a racist from climate change to tax policy to energy policy. I mean, do you agree that that's that's a, a term, a the same um, manipulative way in which which uh, Mao used counter-revolutionary? Absolutely, because uh, um, um, the, the similarity is so alarming. OK, so in China, they must have the playbook for Mao um, to do what they are doing here. So counter-revolutionary, of course, is uh, anybody who step out of line will be called uh, counter-revolutionary. That means everything, uh, anybody who did something at the time, right? So it's counter-revolutionary, but that's not enough. That's called current counter-revolutionary. You can also be called historic counter-revolutionary. That's because you said something in the past. You said you did something in the past. You confessed and you admit that was wrong, doesn't matter. You are still uh, counter-revolutionary and that's called uh, um, historical counter-revolutionary. That's what's going on. That When I saw this, this is absolutely cultural revolution. When someone said something, God knows, when they were a little little kid or like a, they now all uh, become part of the uh, the uh, the crimes for today, and then, then many, even people on the left, were um, um, called racist because they did something like a blackface, whether in high school, college, you know, whatever. And uh, that similarity to me is like a it, it is just almost funny that how similar it is. Okay, I want you also, there's another element which I think is, is truly alarming to Americans, which is there seems to be almost a right way to speak in our country. We use the term count, uh, cancel culture, but people are afraid to say things that they know run afoul of what the left is trying to declare is the only truth there is, their truth on every issue. And you talked about in, in China, too, under Mao, people were afraid not just to say to the authorities, but to say to anyone 
that they disagree yeah. with something. Talk about that a little bit, please. Yes, of course, in China, it's different. There's never free. Actually, there was a time that was uh, uh, there's some kind of a free speech. And I think it's good. It's important to know that. Um, so after uh, Mao took over uh, China and he's, uh, he launched a lot of uh, political campaigns such as land, land reform and uh, basically confiscate all the land and redistribute the land. And so after a few years, he feel probably kind of confident that uh, he got the popular support. So he started, he launched this, he never stopped launching something. There's always something going on. And this campaign is called Let 100 Flower Bloom. And so he encouraged everybody to give suggestions to the CCP, suggestions, you know, to improve their work. And I said, um, if you uh, give the right suggestion, we adapt it. If the suggestion is not quite right, we'll just use it as a warning sign, you know, for future, you know, to avoid uh, that kind of mistake. A lot of intellectuals, or they're just not smart enough to know how evil the communists are. So they thought it was sincere. They started to express their opinions and give sincere suggestions. Most of them probably want to uh, improve a CCP rather than overthrow them. Well, Mao did not like that. He was probably shocked by that re, uh, 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 the, the kind of feedback. So the the, uh, the campaign turned into an anti anti rightist campaign, and uh, many 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 people got a hat. This hat is a rightist hat, and uh, and then and the uh, it's not just to get a hat. Many of them were exiled, demoted, and. Uh, it's just many, many tragedies. My mother was further fortunate enough to not get a hat as a rightist. She got a hat, it's called rightist sympathizer because she defended some of her coworkers. And uh, so that is a hat is just as bad. And she lost her, basically um, her career uh, is probably ended right there. So that was in the uh, er, uh, late 50s. And Chinese learned it so well. Never, ever tell the truth. Never. So because that's what's going to happen to you. And so during the Cultural Revolution, the kind of a free speech is to see who is, how far left you can go. You can't make mistake if you go left. So that's why people went all the way to the left and, uh, and to show their loyalty to, to, uh, uh, to Mao. And um, so that's um, free speech in China. But here is, uh, I noticed that way back, I would say 10 years ago, I noticed that uh, the, um, maybe more than that. Uh, uh, okay, let me tell you a story a little bit. So the first time, and it was in late 1980s, and uh, I was taking a class of special education. And the professor said, we have to be really uh, 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 sensitive to the people with disability. And we cannot call them crippled or this and that. We have to call them um, uh, handicapped. Back then, handicapped was an okay word. I was thinking, well, Americans are really, really nice people. They're very considerate. And the Chinese would just call them blind, crippled, or whatever. So. That was my first encounter of political uh, correctness. But as we all know, soon enough, you can see that 
you can see this, and the uh, handicapped is no longer good. It's uh, people with disability. Nowadays, you can't even see that. I lost track of what you can see, what you cannot say. But eventually, I noticed people around me just keep quiet because whatever you say might, might be wrong. Yep. You know, I, I'm going to jump in. So much what you're pointing out, but you did a great little uh, description about how in America what's become very trendy is to, at college campuses especially, is to acknowledge microaggressions. And so, you know, somebody uh, comments, you know, gee, that's a nice red jacket you have on, and somehow if that's offensive, and I'd love to have you talk about how this microaggression uh, culture and you and intersectionality involved in that too how it ends up stymieing normal human exchanges and, and how it's really tied up in cultural Marxism. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about uh, microaggression, um, how that happened in China, because it's the same idea. It's not your tension, it's the impact. But who interpret the impact and who interpret the intention? In China, it was the party leader, whoever was in power at that time. So, <coughs> excuse me. Getting over a little, sorry, so, you're doing great. Yeah. yeah, so it doesn't even matter what you say. And uh, I have an example from my friend's father. He lived in a, a, a dormitory. Back then, uh, unmarried people lived in dormitory. So in a communal bathroom, he just made this comment. Just kind of a, a comment, there's no meaning in it. He just said, do you know that the price of the path, the uh, pay, uh, toothpaste went up? Someone reported him and he was arrested. He was given 50 years prison sentence. Uh, the crime smearing socialism system. So that's what happened in China. <laughs> don't even know what can get you into trouble. You can say things that are just like a benign, now you're in trouble. And here, they're using the same tactic. That is absolutely a way to, uh, to silence people. So it's uh, your, it's the impact. And who, and I went to a training in my workplace, and it's micro, that's uh, probably five or seven years ago. And so this professor and taught us, you know, it doesn't matter what uh, your intention is, it's the impact and how your intention, like, uh, oh, Chinese are good at uh, math, can be interpreted as a racist. And I asked him, I said, I cannot control uh, how people react. I can only control my, uh, my intention. He said, you need to uh, know what the impact your intention of course, as I can't. So now it is absolutely the uh, total divorce of intention and the impact. And your impact, no matter how good, how well intentioned you are, can be interpreted as uh, a racist, as a white supremacist, whatever, except the US government. Their disastrous policies can always credit to the good intention, not the impact. <laughs> it's a very good point. I love your analysis about microaggressions because it, it is, it's, profoundly unfair to people criticized for 
saying something that most people wouldn't be offended by, but if someone is offended, it is the impact someone decides to receive versus what you intended. It, it's grotesquely unfair, and it ends up silencing people. You don't say anything because it just might end up offending someone unintentionally. Uh, you also talk about another parallel between America and what happened in China is the idea that in China, parents didn't have the right to control what their kids were learning in school. The school was deciding what they learned. Talk about that a little bit, what you see in America. Okay. And in China, nobody has any rights, period. And the parents, you don't have any rights at all because your children belong to the CCP. And that's what we're taught. It's not like a, that's what uh, um, uh, I implied. We were taught that we are the children of the party. And uh, we have sung that uh, this, this, the people still sing today. And uh, one of the lines is, uh, father is dear, mother is dear, neither is as dear as Chairman Mao. And Mao is our real par parent and party is our real parent. So from very early on, that's what we are taught. And the, uh, our biological father and, and the mother, they're just an instrument to bring us into this world, but our real parents are the party. And so, uh, um, so that's China. But here, what they are doing is separate, trying to separate parents and, uh, and, and from uh, their children. And especially what's going on in school now, and uh, the, uh, um, the expert, the, uh, the administrators, they are the expert class. They decide what is best for our children. And more than that, they set the children up against their parents, especially what's going on, the, uh, the gender uh, ideology. They uh, will uh, let, uh, help the children to change their gender without telling their parents. And the little books that they created for children is, if your parents don't love you, we will love you. And uh, that is, uh, okay, there's just too many stories about this because of the CCP's uh, indoctrination during the Cultural Revolution, so many children reported their parents and some ended being executed. There's a very famous story of this woman who just made comments and that she did not like what's going on um, um, and outside, just in the private privacy of his home. Both his son and his uh, husband reported him, reported her, and she was arrested and a few days later, executed. And uh, we have so many stories of children against parents reporting them and uh, to be so that they can be a hero of the party. And that sounds like a far reaching story, but it's going on here. The children are reporting their parents, especially when 2020, when I see little girls going to school, uh, social media and say, my, my parents are racist. They are not with, uh, they're not supporting BMM. And that's, that's just shocking to me that this could happen in America. It is shocking. And I'll tell you, on that note, it's a, I had a quick story myself. My, um, years ago, we lived in San Diego and my, um, there was a, a new rule there about when you could water because of the water shortage. And so they had whatever the rule was, you know, if you're on the even number side of the street, you can only number water certain days, whatever it was. 
So the city of San Diego was encouraging people, if you see your neighbor watering on the wrong day, call 311, you can turn them in and, and we'll come and get after them because they watered on the wrong day. And my father-in-law, my, my husband's dad, who was just you know very, very wise guy, he just said, that's communist. And, and you know, he, was, he just did the shortcut, but he was basically saying, this is what they do in communist countries. They encourage people to turn each other in. And I tell you, in, in this environment, and you gave the example of, of young people commenting online, but there are all sorts of reasons and ways in which the school is encouraging kids to turn their parents in or talk about their parents. Have your parents been saying this at home? Have they been saying that? And it is a, it's a, uh, a creepy infiltration into what was understood to be in the American culture, the primacy of the family, and, and a limited role of the state. Which segues well into kind of another topic I want to hit with you. We do have our, our audience has the opportunity to ask questions. Um, but there was a, um, you know, this whole battle in America against Marxism and cultural Marxism. I always say in the show, you know, if we had the Cuban army invade America or the Chinese army, we would know it was a war. We would see it as a war. We would see as troops and bombs and bullets. But because it's ideological in America, it's sometimes harder to see that this is an invasion of America. So how widespread do you see this? I mean, you mentioned schools. Do you see the communist ideology invading America in other ways except for in, besides schools? I say communism, communist infiltration in America is complete. It is everywhere. It's in every institution, including the military. And that's their success story of the long march through the institutions. And the word long march is from Mao. He launched long march to lead the remnant of the uh, Chinese Red Army to go from south to north to escape the nationalist uh, encirclement. And so the, the uh, other communists love it. The German communists and uh, use that term and say long march through the institutions. In the past decades, they have infiltrated every institution in our uh, country. Not only that, they have been training generations of uh, new Marxists and they are in position of power in our institutions. They are the teachers and teaching our children. It is everywhere. I kind of knew that was your answer. I couldn't agree more. And I think, as I say, it's, it's because it's not military. It's not a person in a certain color uniform against some other color uniform. It's ideology. This is why it's so important to teach Americans what American ideology is, what capitalism, what freedom is. Go ahead. I guess. Yeah. I, I tweeted something now a few days ago and about um, uh, cultural revolution and someone made a comment and I loved it. And that's so true. He said, in school, I never learned cultural revolution, never learned anything communists did. I only learned slavery and the Nazis. And someone joined in and said, oh, we also learned McCarthyism. That's the biggest problem that we have, that people do not know what communism is. That's why they can recognize the, the, the alarming signs. To me, it's not even subtle. It is in your face but people don't recognize because they don't know communism. 
so well said. So, she, we have an audience here today. My Someone has a microphone, and um, they, we were going to ask if they have any questions. And all I would say, some people are new here, if you have a question, hold the microphone really close to your mouth and speak up because it has to be picked up just online. I, my other question, I'll tell you, I'll let you go ahead, but, you know, so what do we do about this is kind of the closing question, but please go ahead. Uh, that kind of ties in with what I'm thinking with January 6th, you know, when you hear what the judges are saying, what the people who are representing the, the, the protesters or the people who went in, it feels like that's a shaming session for anyone who doesn't fall along, fall in line. And so my question to you is, what do we do? I mean, what do people do? We see it. It's in our face. So, you know, what's the solution? Okay, I think um, I. Um, <laughs> it is the, the real question, what do we do? And I think it's first to understand that we did not arrive here overnight. And I mentioned that long march through the institutions that started in the 60s. It takes half a century for them to get here. So to, to uh, get back, we have to start this long march back to restore our uh, our our, uh, our institutions and starting with telling the truth starting uh, with me especially sending out the message of uh, 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 sending out the alarms to make Americans understand to see that this is really communism i think that's the first step to send out the message to whoever who uh, lend us ears. So that's first step. And then to, to expose the CRT, the woke, all this is Marxism and communism. And the second, I said, get organized. And, uh, uh, and I say that because I was one of those that were just, just 10 months ago. I was home and uh, frustrated, terrified, and the only thing I could do is watch the news, read everything I could get Hannah, and then talk to a few friends. And there's no impact. I could not do anything until I joined the local conservative uh, uh, organization. That's how I got the email to go to a school board. So I think this is grassroots. I think there's a hope because people like me who are never, ever, ever involved politically were scared to death to talk to a crowd and was able to get mobilized and uh, get involved. I think there's a hope. The hope are the parents, grassroots parents. This room is full of grassroots parents. Are there other questions from the um, audience? Or nobody, some, nobody else? Oh, one, here you go. Uh, I missed uh, seeing you speak to the school board. How were you received? Um, that was, uh, <laughs> I was um, told to go by, I got the email and I talked to the members of the club. I said, well, I don't have children in school and I, 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 this it doesn't matter. You are still a taxpayer. Go and say what I say. He said whatever you want to say. So I said that that I compare CRT with my experience as a, a child in China to the Chinese Cultural Revolution. I thought that's it. I did my duty. I went to school board and did whatever. I have no idea. It went viral. Two days <laughs> a day later. <laughs> I mean, I just, Fox News called. I was like, what? 
I had no idea that this is going to be so big. And uh, I, I tell you the truth, I was so terrified when uh, Fox News called. And uh, actually, Hannity called, um, Ingram, right? And Fox uh, and Friends, three. I was like, oh my God, what I'm getting myself in. <laughs> 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 it helps a lot when you're speaking truth. It helps a lot when you're not, you know, pontificating about something you don't know about. When you speak with authority, you, you speak as, as few Americans can. I mean, there are Americans who are, have lived in Venezuela and they're talking about how bad communism is there. And they also have that kind of irrefutable voice of authenticity. They're just, I know what I'm talking about. And you have that too. And it really is, I, I just commend you so much for speaking up and, and trying to, to wave the flag, wake America up, because I agree with your assessment. The long march through the institutions, it happened when most Americans who love America, love freedom, love the Constitution, love the Declaration, they they had no idea what was happening. They they didn't even. They, you might have heard parents say, "Well, those crazy colleges, you know, they always have these left wing professors." They didn't see the immenseness of it, the the um, with the breadth of it until very recently. And so, and even today, I would say I think there are plenty of people who think the problem is, you know, the uh, you know a few isolated school districts or a few isolated. It's everywhere, and it's a communist it's ideology. Yep. So, and see, I, I'll tell you, we have, go ahead. I, I would just say, we're in a war. We have to understand it. It's absolutely a war. And the front line is education. And the front, front line is K-12. They are after our children, the young, young children. Before it was college, now they are after the little kids. So, to win the war, we have to win the battle in the front line of education from K-12. Love that. I also want to thank you. I see you've been doing a lot of public speaking, so thank you for doing that. You're getting out there and talking to groups, and as I say, your voice of authenticity is just, you really can't challenge it. So, she, I don't know if anyone listening can do anything to help you. Do you have a website people can go to? I know you have a Facebook page. Do you have a website people can go to? Twitter. Twitter. Please follow my Twitter. <laughs> okay. Twitter. Sorry. Uh, uh, Sorry. Can I, can I tell a little story? Yes. Okay. I was not on any social uh, media. Uh, that's before uh, my new life, which is a fighter <laughs> for America. Okay, I never uh, participated using any social media. The only thing I use is uh, Instagram because I'm a photographer. I post some pretty photos and whatever. So people said you should go uh, use Twitter. I said, I just really don't know how. And my friend said they come up for me in uh, last summer. I never used it. But one day I saw the alert. There was someone said, uh, she, please start tweet. And I was like, I don't know how, and I was scared. So while I was in the hospital for COVID, I just, I told myself how to tweet. The first time I tweeted out, I was scared. <laughs> now I'm tweeting every other day. And just a few hours, <laughs> and I know now I'm big enough a fish for the uh, Twitter to notice me. And uh, without any reason, they banned me, and uh, and then the uh, 
uh, set me free. So I believe it's because the news of uh, Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> I am tweeting. That is the battlefield. That is a platform. I'm not go going to give up. I I'm very active there. So please follow me at uh, X Van Fleet on Twitter. And Facebook too. I have Facebook. You just search my name, X, uh, XI Van Fleet. Okay, I, I, I called it up while you were speaking out. Is that for Twitter, it's at X Van Fleet, V A N F L E E T. Uh, she, I can't thank you enough for taking time today. Th obviously, our audience loves seeing you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. So my friends, that is uh, the voice of uh, reality, voice of truth from someone who actually grew up in China, understands how Mao brought about the Cultural Revolution, the suppression of the rights of his people to function normally, to converse, to be educated. Everything about in communist China was controlled by, uh, by Mao's Cultural Revolution. And what we're watching in America, her observations made by many other people who are, came to America from China, same observations, this notion that in America, you really do face a threat. We face a threat of the ideology of communism, uh, march through the institutions having arrived and succeeded uh, as a threat to our future of our freedom. And it's not going to go away, not going to be solved by one politician, one election, one great victory. It is a person-by-person -person battle, school-by-school, school, every place you can do the fight. It's up to the people to rise up and fight this. So I thank you all for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. As I mentioned, next week we have uh, Raymond Ibrahim joining us talking about the dangers. Uh, we don't as I mentioned earlier, we don't see it right now as much as we have in the past, but it is endlessly rising of jihadist Islam right here in America. And I also want to close out by saying this is our very precious Christian Holy Week. I hope you're having a wonderful Holy Week. I wish you a very blessed Easter, which is this Sunday. And we'll see you Monday next week and every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time on America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Talk. Truth about America. Yeah.